Good morning, everyone. So my name is Nico, and I'm here with my wife Annika today, and our three kids, Chloe, Luca, and Caleb. And I'll be reading from Revelation 4, verses 1 to 11. And if you've got your pew Bibles here, um, you can find the reading on page 863. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Well, friends, are you seeing clearly uh, what is really going on in the world? Now, that's the sort of question you might expect to be asked by conspiracy theorists or doomsdayers or Illuminati fanatics or people who are worried about the naivety of the majority of the world's population. But it's also the very question that you will be asked of you time and time and time again by the book of Revelation. Are you seeing clearly what is really going on in the world? Uh, to some extent, I suspect we would all say yes in answer to that question. Perhaps not everything in the world, but with at least everything in our world. We like to think that we do see clearly, that we do believe that what we think is important is actually important and is actually significant. But here's the news. It is if your understanding of the world comes only from what you have sensed. 
If your understanding of the world has come only from what you've experienced, from what you can see and touch, from what you've observed and therefore understood, if your understanding of the world comes only from within you, then you've not understood clearly. Indeed, you're missing the big point. And you really don't know what is going on in the world. Uh, The book of Revelation is going to tell us that to really know what is going on in the world, uh, we must look beyond the appearance of things. We must look beyond our own experience of things, for there are realities that lie beyond our senses, beyond what we can experience and perceive on our own. These are infinitely important realities, more significant and important and powerful realities that you must come to grips with. And so here, in chapter 4, as our year launches with uh, kids and youth ministry back today for 2023 and many more of our activities starting this week and growth groups next week, everything set to go with all our ministry on the starting blocks, ready to zoom into a new year, we are taken gladly at the very start into see reality to see what really lies at the centre of the world, what is truly significant and powerful and important, what must take place, what is taking place, what will take place. And so let's go there. Grab your Bible, have your Bible open, Revelation chapter 4. What do we see? Well, the first thing we see in this chapter is that there is a powerful king who is over everything. That's the first reality. There's a powerful king who is over everything. Look with me from verse 2. John is there. He is at once, he says, I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. You see, the centre of this vision, there's this throne, there's someone on it, and that someone is overwhelmingly glorious in their appearance, with with the lights of jasper and ruby, red and white and other colours flaming around them. In other parts of the Bible where these stones are mentioned, they undoubtedly represent the reality of the presence of God. In all his sovereign majesty, in unapproachable light, in unapproachable wonder and splendor and glory. So to be sure, if you had not yet guessed, John has been taken here to see God. And he sees God enthroned as king. But there are other thrones. Look with me at verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. Now, I admit that when I was sort of starting to study this chapter a couple of weeks back, I immediately, at this point in time, just my fingers went from my Bible to Google. Revelation 4, picture. And I looked at a whole lot of pictures. It was like a Google rabbit hole. Don't do that. Just see if you can just picture what's going on here in your mind. That's the vision that John was given. has been passed on in words for us to picture in our mind just what's going on. Uh, and so we have a throne at the centre with 24 thrones, with 24 elders, and they're all dressed in pure white. Uh, they most likely represent the people of God. 
those who by faith have come to trust in God, both through the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament, all those who have been washed clean from sin as symbolised by their white clothes and crowned with glory as Paul anticipates in his letters. What John sees here is the place that God is drawing his people to. That God's plan for the world is to draw people into his presence, into his glory, and that even now this is taking place. And there they are placed on thrones under his throne, symbolising that they sit under the power and the authority of God. Here is God's work of drawing people to gather with him forever under his authority and throne. Now, this is no parliamentary meeting under some weak grandfatherly figure with a big beard or something. Uh, oh no, the one on this throne, he has powers to conquer anyone else and anything else in the world. Uh, look from verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Uh, although it does feel like we're in far north Queensland this morning, you know with some measure of anticipation that we'll get a light show this afternoon, right? Who's looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to the light show this afternoon. It'll be great. You know when you experience thunder and lightning and you see the lightning and the thunder comes instantaneously and you just get that shiver down your spine, you think, whoa, that was close. What's happening here is a trillion times louder, more violent, more furious and more powerful. What's happening here is the kind of noise and light that would make children cry and adults very uneasy. It's the kind of fury and power that we saw at Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments to his people. It's the kind of fury and power that destroys evil and that brings peace, as depicted in a sea subdued to glassy crystal. And there in the midst of it all is the sevenfold or the perfect in fullness spirit of God as he was in Genesis chapter 1 now again over the waters in power as God restores creation to its former glory. But the sea is not the only connection to creation. Look again from verse 6 in the centre around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. There's something absolutely grotesquely bizarre about these four creatures and the eyes and the wings and three that are like animals and one with a face like a human. It appears most likely they represent the reality that all things sit under the throne of God. All things sit under the rule of God. Of course, the characteristics of the animals reflect something of God as, as they're indicated by their closeness to the throne, the wings and eyes. But the fact that they sit under his throne proclaims again that God is the great and strong and majestic ruler over all things. Have no doubt. These creatures sit in subservience to his throne, humbly 
postured as all creation should be. For the one who is on the throne is over all and before all and more powerful than all, more powerful than anything we can sense or experience or perceive. And I take it in the first stages of this vision, God's given John this vision to bring him into greater and greater awe of God, to see him as he truly is, as the powerful king who is over everything in heaven above and on earth beneath. So just pause a moment, as I'm sure that God wanted John to just pause a moment and allow yourself to stand there and see the throne and the thrones and the beasts and the light and hear the noise and watch the people and look at the throne. For there are powers in our world, but in heaven there is a power. A king, a king who rules over everyone, a king who rules over everything. He is without equal and he is full of fury and might, bringing all things to be subdued under his hand. This is a truly awesome picture. Many school teachers will be back in the classroom this week and just hoping they'll be able to subdue the children for five minutes to teach them something. You know, here is a picture of everything under the hand of God forever. It's a truly awesome picture. But it's not the end. For, for this king is no static power. He's no past power. This is not a future power. No, this vision John sees is of a king, to be sure, but it's no ordinary king. Rather, what we have before us is a powerful king who is alive and active over everything, even today. And so second thing we see in chapter 4, we see a powerful king who is alive and active over everything. And we see this truth come from the testimony of the mouths of those who are worshipping him. Uh, look at what's taking place in his throne room of God, again from verse 8. Uh, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns down before the throne and they say box one of two ways to live. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. 
Again, their worship indicates they're being seated under his authority and recognising his authority. But it's the content of the worship I want you to pay attention to. What do you notice there? Particularly, what do you notice about the time when this king has this power? Now, I suspect we all know there's an election coming up in March. We know the New South Wales State Premier only reigns for a fixed period of time, and even then only at their party's pleasure. We know the Queen passed away last year and the King is about to be enthroned. He will only reign until he dies. But this King in Revelation 4 has different parameters around the time of his rule. The four living creatures proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. The kingship of this king is over the past, it's over the present, and it is over the future. There is not one moment in time when he has not been king, and far from this vision being of something in the future, their worship and praise indicates that even now, in this hour, as you take your next breath and your next, God is enthroned over you. Your yesterday, your today, your tomorrow, this is no future image, this is now. The king is not coming, the king is, God is over you now. And so the song of the creatures goes day and night and they never stop. But whenever they give glory to God, well, there's a second lot of glory that is proclaimed by the 24 elders praising the one who lives forever and ever. Did you see that? Twice in the text, lives forever and ever, lives forever and ever, just to emphasise there's no end to his power and reign. But as they praise the Lord, they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things by your will they were created and have their being. Did you see that this king who created all things sustains all things by his sovereign powerful hand? The grass on the oval down the road is under the hand of the Lord. The dog barking all night next door is under the hand of the Lord. The person driving past right now has their being in the hand of the Lord. You, your existence, your breath, your DNA, your fingerprints, your everything sits under the rule and control and power of the Lord. The King, the Lord Almighty, knows and rules over every speck, every atom, every detail of your being. His triumph is absolute, his power is unfathomable, his glory is superb, and it goes on forever. By the appearance of things, you'd be excused for missing this. But now it's been revealed, don't miss this. There is a God on the throne. He is in charge of it all. 
with all power and all might and all glory and all holiness and all fury and all might and passion and honour forever. He is a powerful king who is alive and active over everything. Now can I say, if, if such a king was human and, and we sat in this nation under such a king with all such power and fury and passion and might, we'd be right to fear him, wouldn't we? You would be right to be afraid for everything is at that one's whim. And if they felt like doing something, they would just do it and they could. If there was a man or woman who had your entire life and breath under their hand, you would be right to fear them. So then what is the right response to this king? You'd be wise to live in fear. But for one thing. There's one detail in this chapter that underlines for us that you need not live in fear despite his might and glory. We skipped over it. wonder if you saw it. It's a small detail that brings you good news about this king. It brings you good news, gospel news about this king. Cast your eyes back to verse 3. For the one who sits in glorious light is encircled by another light, an emerald light. But it's not just a light. And what we're going to see here with this emerald light is the third thing I think John wants us to grasp hold of. And it is that what we see here is a powerful king who is alive and active over everything but who is full of mercy. Look with me again at verse 3. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald, encircled the throne. Friends, while in our day the rainbow has been hijacked for other purposes and messages, the original message of the rainbow was that God's mercy, God's kindness, God's goodness is towards the people of the earth forever. This is the gospel news. And so behold, seated here in heaven is God, mightily powerful, Creatively present and gloriously merciful. The, the one you see here is the all-important, all-determining power centre of the universe, master of the universe, and he's actually for you. The good news of the gospel is that he is for you, towards you in mercy, and he is for you and ready for you to join with him in his throne room forever. Wow! Google that! You can't. You would be an absolute fool to miss this. 
So I want to urge you today to order your life in light of what is really going on, in light of who is really in power, in light of who is really important in the world. I want to urge you to keep this vision as your vision, as you order and live your life in the world today and tomorrow and forever, as long as the Lord gives you breath. For this is the place God is inviting you to in Christ. From this throne room, he has sent his son as an act of mercy that all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ might not burn in the fires of hell, but rather dwell around his throne in glory forever. And you order your life well when you order your life around what is actually important in the world. Of course, if we were to wander down to the Village Green or Chatswood Westfield or somewhere else and ask people, what do you order your life around? Some people would say personal financial security. Uh, Some would say comfort and rest. Some will order their lives for relational harmony and some for intellectual or vocational achievements. Those things will be their focus, their goal, their vision, their hope. What foolishness. For the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, he is holding all being and every moment in his hand and all will stand before that throne and give an answer for their life. Oh, you, you can order your life in light of all manner of things that appear substantial and important and significant and powerful and real, but we do life at its best when we order life around the one thing that matters most. And that is the powerful king who is alive and active over everything and full of mercy. What is that going to look like? Well, it's going to look like all manner of different things for all sorts of different people who are here this morning. My prayer is that you might just be curious about your life a little bit more. My prayer is that you might examine your life a little bit. Take a deep breath. Sit quietly. And have a think. Here's a good question to ask yourself occasionally, like every 15 minutes. Does what I'm doing demonstrate that my eyes are fixed on and life is ordered around the throne? Does what I'm doing demonstrate that my eyes are fixed on God? Fixed on what matters to God? Fixed on what God is doing in the world? Do you know, do you know who's actually in charge here? I'll give you a tip. It's not me, and it's not you. Now, as a church, again this year, we're, we're bringing mission to the forefront of what we do so that you might be helped to keep your eyes fixed on and your life ordered around the throne. Uh, putting mission at the forefront of what we do uh, is like a constant dripping tap-like reminder that there's something bigger at play in the world. 
that something more important than you is in charge and that he's coming and that that matters. So again this year, we're shaping our plans around the one who was and is and is to come. We're going to be giving our hearts and minds deliberate time to be shaped by the same compassion Jesus had. That rainbow-shaped compassion for the lost. Now you might ask, don't you want us to be wholehearted disciples? And I would say, yes, I want you to be wholehearted disciples. I want you to embody the five characteristics of wholehearted discipleship. I want you to be delighting in God and deep in his word, loving others. I want you to be serving gladly. I want you to be seeking the lost. And you might say, Nigel, if there are five characteristics of wholehearted discipleship, why prioritize one? Well, it's because of my swimming coach. When I started swimming training, he said, do some freestyle, great. He said, do some backstroke, great. He said, do some breaststroke, he said, great. Do some butterfly, and he went, oh, my goodness. And so that's the one I needed help with the most. And I think, friends, this is the one we need help with the most. You know, if mission was a Facebook event, a few people would click going. Most people would click interested because you feel like you should. And then you really hope that Elliot didn't call you and ask you whether you were going. We want to focus here to give you help, to encourage you and equip you to take the next step in seeking the lost. Because like you, they're under this throne. This throne is not just over Christian people. This throne is over the world. And yet many in the world know nothing of the reality that there is a powerful king who is alive and active over everything and full of mercy. So today it begins. Friends, our year is launching and our prayer for you is that you may launch into this year with this vision at the forefront of your attention and out of compassion for the lost and love for Christ and love for the people upon the earth, you may demonstrate that your eyes are fixed on this throne by sharing life with others. Now you'll hear more about all of this in the weeks ahead and at the growth group launch and and I'm sure many of you are already praying for things we have planned for this year, but get ready. Because this is reality. And so let us finish with that vision before us today. And you'd be a fool to ignore this. So just pause and ask yourself now, later today, tomorrow, every day does what I am doing? demonstrate that my eyes are fixed on and my life is ordered around that throne.